0: Hi, Ron here, and welcome. We love that you've come to join us here and listen to a lot of our episodes. Please help us continue with this by supporting us through either joining the Barack Centre at thebarackcenter.com or joining us at the Fringe Church at thefringechurch.com and sharing and donating through those sources. And once again, thank you for joining us today. Well, good morning and uh, welcome again to Devotions. The, um, the passage this morning is one of the really um, classically important passages in terms of how we understand sexuality, and um, it's huge news. It's known as what the, uh, the queer community call a clobber passage, where they get beaten up. So we'll read it first, and then I want to show you some things. Uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 26. Remember, he's been talking about the wrath that's to come. Uh, as a natural result of abandoning God and he wants to just dig down and say it gets really bad and in these verses he takes a, a separate look at a particular thing that he rates as about as bad as it gets because of this God abandoned them to dishonorable passions for their women exchanged the natural relationship for the relationship which is against nature and so did the men for they gave up the natural relationship with women and were inflamed with their desire for each other, and men were guilty of shameful conduct with men. So within themselves, they received their due and necessary rewards for their error. Now, to our ears in our culture, that just sounds like, well, pretty clear, isn't it? I mean, it's, you know, gay is bad. That's that's where it lands. But let's remember, we've got to take this in terms of What would the Roman church have thought of when they saw this? Now, we know that the early church didn't rate this as about gay. One of the most important um, writers of the period was a guy called Hippolytus uh, a little bit later on. He was the guy who gave us the order of service for communion that is used pretty much throughout Catholic, Anglican, Lutheran, many other Protestant churches. He, He was a great codifier of things. And he uses this passage... Um, to describe a very particular thing it's got nothing to do with gay so let me let me sort of paint a picture now by the way i'm not wanting to say this hasn't got anything to do with gay but i want to just suggest that we need to be very careful with the bible and i'll show you how it works out that we've got to be really careful especially when we're going to start going to people and telling them they're wrong at the level of their Identity and their personal. You're just wrong. But be real careful of that. So now the church in Rome was aware of um, the way that idolatry and sexual practice went together. The great mother of the goddess cults that were around about the time was the cult of Sibyl. Now, this is the same one that went rank in the book of Revelation and gave us that charismatic form of emperor worship. So same one turns up again. And it's going to cause grief here. Now, this cult and all of the goddess cults involve wild, bloody, orgiastic, cathartic worship ceremonies. And this was all of the the goddess cults, Aphrodite, um, Artemis, uh, and so on. And so crazy amount of incredibly, um, what we would call degraded sex goes on as part of the worship of these goddess figures. So a distinctive element of goddess worship was the sexual roles played by androgynous priests. Male members of Sibel's priesthood were castrated and took a passive role in ritualistic anal sex. Now, Roman citizens were actually prohibited from joining this order of castrated priests um, until um, about 50 uh, AD, and and at that point, uh, Claudius cleared the way for them to actually do it if they wanted to, and increasingly, Rome got more and more involved with this cult until their Day of Blood became a recognized religious festival on the, the calendar of Rome. Now, the Day of Blood was an incredible day initiates of the order or uh, the orders of these castrated priests would make a public spectacle of castrating themselves in frenzied orgiastic um, public displays Lucian um, gives a really clear description of it and um, these guys gave up their maleness um, to become these androgynous figures here's how it went. The gully, these priest candidates, sing and celebrate their orgies, fall into frenzies. um, And and such a frenzy, in fact, that some people who just came to watch get involved and join in what's about to follow wake up the next morning realising, oh, Lordy, what have I done? But the young man has resolved on this course of action, strips off his clothes. um, This is Lucian's account. With a loud shout, bursts into the midst of the crowd, picks up a sword from a number of swords which have been kept ready for many years for this purpose. He takes it, castrates himself, and then runs wild through the city, bearing in his hands that which he has cut off. He casts it into any house at will, and from this house he receives women's clothing and ornaments. That's how they act during their ceremonies of castration. So now, like I said, Hippolytus writes about this cult and this practice and says this passage in Romans refers to that. So our overlay of our view of things, and, and there's a whole complex thing about how we view sexuality and how they viewed sexuality that plays into this. We haven't got time and I haven't got inclination to get into all of that. But Paul's words in Romans one twenty six conceivably label this self-emasculation as a vile affection or a degrading passion, or however it gets translated, that God has given these sick individuals over to. So early church commentary on this passage says this is about the goddess cults. That's what it's about. It's it's still about that idolatry that Paul is so concerned about. You know, they have exchanged um, the glory of God for an idolatrous view of themselves. They worship their own bodies, which is what's going on in a sense, and they bear in their bodies the results of their sins. They're castrated. Now, I don't want to, and I can't say, that's what it is, you know. But boy, that's on the cards, especially with that reading from Hippolytus, who says, well, that is what it is. So as far as Hippolytus was concerned, this had nothing to do with gay as we would understand it. This was all about um, these crazy bad, um, sex frenzied, body-destroying, gender-bending cults that, that were rampant through the empire. And as we've seen in Revelation, the emperor's got more and more excited about as they got more and more useful to the emperor. Now, the other thing that um, Hippolytus um, talks about in, in using this, there was a a tendency in Christian young men to castrate themselves on the basis of Jesus words in Matthew 19. uh, Those who made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. There were Christian young men who took that literally and castrated themselves. So, In Hippolytus' day, um, he's looking at this and he is seeing this whole thing, this unnatural sexual situation and exchange as castration. So what Paul may, may be doing here is just continuing his examples of how the, the willful suppression of the knowledge of God in our hearts leads us into grave sin leads us into a form of idolatry where our bodies become the center of everything and from there even further degraded into this sort of behavior, this sick, obscene, disgusting, terrifying behavior. Now, I'm not enough of a scholar to um, to answer all the questions that get raised by that, but I'm enough of a pastor to say we better be very, very careful when we look at gay people and tell them they're flat out just wrong and a cosmic mistake, um, some sort of divine mess-up, um, That's that, in my view, is simply not on. There are only six references that we could possibly use towards homosexuality in the entire Bible. This is the one that strikes me as the most... Um, most powerful um, of them, and in this one, if we take, if we simply take Hippolytus, it's got nothing to do with gay. So, I, I, and I look, I don't want to say anything about being pro or anti anything. I just want to say, again, let's take the Bible really seriously, and let it let it speak on its own terms. Let's look at what was going on, and what did the people in Rome likely think. We know what they thought in the second century. They thought this was about these goddess cults. So let's, um, yeah, allow that to percolate. And it's, it's all about how we read the Bible. It's about, you know, knowing more than we know by just reading the text. And right now it's dead set about how we treat gay people because atrocities are still being committed in the name of Christ and the church against people who... Just don't deserve it. So let's come to God. Let's pray. Father, if this is where Paul is going, it's really pointing so powerfully that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who has faith, to the Jew first, also to the Greek, even in this mess. So Lord, Whatever Paul is doing, he's certainly trying to find the most despicable and disgusting example he can to to show his point and to illustrate it. And Father, in the middle of all this, he's saying people can be saved. Lord, for all of us, God, there are people we struggle with. We look at and we think that's despicable. There are people we look at and we want to judge. There are people we look at and think you've messed up so badly, there is no way back for you. And the gospel keeps saying that cannot be true. Gospel keeps holding hope and a future. So God, it's not just about gays, because for many of us that's not an issue at all. But there are other people who we look at and think, no, too far. That's the despicable thing. Father, can we please be helped to get over ourselves? Can we please have that spirit of hope that says everyone can be saved? Everyone can know they're saved. Everyone can be saved to the uttermost. Lord, we stand very humbly before these passages. They sound like they say one thing in our culture. Perhaps they said something else. We just want to come and today pray for all of those people who are gay, who are dealing with the fact that they have heard the voice of Jesus say, come to me, many of them, who deal with the fact that they are considered wrong. Lord, we don't even know how to minister into that whole darkness that goes on with that. But we pray, Lord, that you will. Father, bless our gay friends, whatever that looks like. And let us see your kingdom come for all of us. These things in Jesus' name. Amen. Told you to get interesting. We'll keep going tomorrow with a, um, a just a, a rollout list of sins that Paul worries about in this context. See you then. Thank you for listening to another episode And please, don't forget to sign up to thebarackcentre.com or thefringechurch.com and help support us so we can reach many more. Thank you again for joining us today.